Hello, hello, and welcome to Art House Garage, the snob-free film podcast where we make art house indie, classic, and foreign cinema accessible to the masses. I'm your host, Andrew Sweatman, and can you believe it? We've made it to the end of the 2020 movie season. The Oscars are over, and with that, it feels like we can close the chapter on 2020 film. But just before we do, we're going to dedicate this episode of the podcast looking back at 2020 movies and digging into last night's Oscar ceremony. I'm joined by one of my most film-obsessed friends, the wonderful Rance Collins. If you haven't heard an episode with Rance before, his deal is basically he just knows everything about movies, especially classic movies and the history of the Oscars. Rance actually works for Turner Classic Movies from time to time, and he hosts his own podcast with his friend Sam all about Oscars history called The Envelope Please. Uh, I'll link to that in the show notes. It's a really great podcast. So Rance is the perfect person to talk Oscars with. Rance, welcome to the podcast. And how are you? Um, I'm great. It's good to be here. Yes, I'm so excited to have you. Uh, so the Oscars, at the time of this recording, Oscars ended, what, 40 minutes ago? Something like that. So we have um, we have some thoughts. It was an interesting ceremony. But before <laughs> we get into that, um, I wanted to, since this is sort of the end of my podcast season, we've been looking at the best films of 2020. And the Oscars sort of marks the end of award season, just kind of looking back briefly. Uh, and I thought to do that, we could look at our top three movies of the year and just give a little, you know, what do you like about this movie? Um, so mm-hmm. before we do that, I just wanted to mention, I think it's been a, it's, it's been a really good year for movies. I think um, I, I really enjoyed having a lot of different guests on the podcast. Uh, as I was trying to kind of pick movies for this, the podcast, I was um, trying to say what what's going to be the big movies for award season, and I did a pretty good job, I think, uh, kind of predicting stuff. We did Mank together, you and I, Rance. I also talked about Nomadland, One Night in Miami, Crip Camp, Wolf Walkers, Another Round, Sound of Metal, The Father, and Minari. So all those mm-hmm. ended up being Oscar nominated, um, and then yeah, so I, I just think it was a it was a good run of shows. Um, so I, I, if you're new to Art House Garage, I encourage you to go back and listen to some of those because I think uh, my I, I always love having guests who are smarter than I am to come and talk about the the movies. So uh, it's been it's been a good year, probably probably my best podcast season so far, at least my favorite that I've done. Um, so anyway, enough about that. Let's talk about our favorites. <laughs> so if you're looking at your top three movies, Rance, what was your number three movie of 2020? Uh, I would say Promising Young Woman. All right. Yeah. I, uh, I thought it was, um, I actually was talking about this with somebody, a friend of mine earlier. I thought that it did a good job of taking a topic that is top of mind relevant, um, and not and making a movie that was fun mm-hmm. and compelling and, uh, narratively interesting and full of twists and turns and kind of like, you know, you're a, a movie like you expect a movie to yeah. be, um, but doing it, but still addressing something that is topical mm-hmm. and timely. Um, it isn't just like a, a preachy film about a topic, you know, it yeah. is also a fun movie to watch. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I really think um, Emerald Fennell um did such a great job with both the script and the way that she directed it as well. Yeah. Um, completely agree. I love that one. And I, yeah, I, I agree. I think 
the I was like, if this, you know, is going to be up for awards, I hope it wins the writing awards because that seems like it's really the strongest part of this. And that's that's kind of what happened. So I'm happy with that. But yeah, what an incredible writer. I've been watching. Uh, so she worked on Emerald Fennell, worked on Killing Eve before she did this. And she did a lot of other things. But I've been watching that show. Uh, and, and you can kind of feel some of the similarities and um, just that kind of kind of macabre but but fun kind of a tone to it yeah i, I think it's a, it's a it's a good movie and she's clearly a very talented filmmaker yes i look forward to seeing what else she'll do because this is just yeah. like literally the beginning of her career <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah she's just getting started it's great i mean besides playing camilla in in the crown and yeah, all sorts i haven't of watched too, yet but... that's like it's on my list forever i was like i need to watch the crown and they said that tonight. yeah, I, was like, yeah. I forgot she's on that uh so yes that's yeah it's gonna be on my list well, my number three for 2020 was a uh, documentary, Dick Johnson is Dead, which I was oh. hoping would get the Oscar nomination uh, for, for documentary, but it didn't. It it did get um, uh, Indie Spirit Award nominated, so that was good. But it's really it's a really interesting movie. It's about uh, it's a documentary about a woman whose father has Alzheimer's. Uh, so it's similar in, in some ways to the father, which is about a father with Alzheimer's. Of course, it's a documentary, and it's uh, where the father, you know, gives us the father's perspective. You know, we're in his head, even um, with uh, Dick Johnson is dead. It's from the daughter's perspective, and she's kind of making this really strange and um, and loving tribute to her father. Uh, basically what she does is she stages his death in, in numerous ways. And he's just this funny old man who's kind of game for that. Like she has a scene where he falls down the <laughs> stairs and stuff. And it's like a way for her to come to terms with this, but it ends up just being kind of exploring death and like humans fears of death and a uh, really moving and unique movie. So that, that'll be my number three, but uh, what, what's okay. your, what's your number two? Um, my number two is Minari. Minari. I love Minari so good yes i loved minari i um i wasn't actually expecting too much when i mm. was going into it because typically when things have to do with farming yeah. i'm just like <laughs> oh i i mean like i never in my life want to be a farmer yeah. and um i grew up around uh, in a farming community and mm. i <laughs> just kind of takes me back there and it's it's just <laughs> not what i want in my life um but this movie just made uh you know, the father's quest to be um, a successful farmer into this like truly American story. But it was with a family that I think represents the um, possibility of America, if that makes any sense, but also like how much more difficult they have it working toward that American yeah. dream. And, mm -hmm. um, and then you had this great like cycle of life, situation going on with the way the grandmother is brought yeah. into the story um and the, the whole sub story with her getting to know the uh her grandson and him not liking her and then learning to love her and then you know being something of a helper to her later in a way um it, it was just like a beautiful beautiful movie and um it, it grabbed me really early and I, I, my attention never wavered. A lot of people um, criticize that it was kind of slow, but um, I, I think that's just that farmer prejudice working in. Cause I found it to be perfectly paced for its story. Mm. I loved it. Yeah, I agree. I love that so much. And yeah, I, 
live in Arkansas. So there's the Arkansas connection. So I love that. Even though it was actually filmed in Tulsa area, which is interesting. Um, but yeah, I think like, the idea of the American dream is such a fraught idea these days, I think, but it sort of kind of gives some hope to that in a way um, in this really mm-hmm. sweet little family story. So yeah, I really, really like Minari as well. Well, my number two is, it's kind of a cheat because it's there's debate about whether this is TV or a movie. It's from uh, Steve McQueen. <laughs> Steve McQueen did a series of five films on Amazon, sold it as a TV show, uh, the, the show's Small Acts, but really they're like 90-minute films each, and they are unique stories and not really tied together uh, except thematically. So Small Acts, it, they all are films that are... Uh, telling stories about the West Indian community in London. And Lover's Rock is, uh, it, it tells the story of this house party. Um, and it's just so full of life and energy. And it's, it shows, uh, you really get a sense of reggae music, which I've never known much about reggae, but you kind of get a sense of the diversity within that genre. And um, so there's like the musical connection is really cool. But it just, the you get this, this weird cast of characters, uh, this really kind of, um, unique people and you have like here's the, uh, where the lovers are dancing on the floor the slow jams and you have um, now this is sort of the the ladies song and then the guy's song and uh, and it's hitting some familiar things like that but it's in this very different context than anything I've ever known and it's just so sweet and and um, but it has some edge as well there's some some darkness to it it's a really really strong movie uh, and Stephen Queen is one of my favorite filmmakers Highly recommend watching all the small X movies, uh, especially Lovers Rock. Mm-hmm. That is my number two. Okay, that was uh, I, I love that you're pulling out uh, <laughs> slight obscurities. So <laughs> my next one will be a little more mainstream. Go ahead though. What's okay, your number okay. one? Uh, my number one is The Father. Ah. Um, I absolutely loved The Father. I thought it was just a brilliantly staged. Uh, directed, written, acted piece of art that um, really resonated with me because of uh, having uh, had a grandparent who um, ultimately succumbed to uh, Alzheimer's. Um, it, it, I, it really made me feel like I got, and of course this was the point, in the head mm-hmm. of a person um, who suffers from Alzheimer's or dementia and the way that it was kind of presented like a quiet little horror movie yeah. was um, just such a brilliant way of telling the story. Um, and, you know, there were a few movies this year who, uh, of course, were based on stage plays and then came to the screen. Uh, Ma Rainey's Black Bottom is another one. I really liked Ma Rainey's Black Bottom, but I did really feel the stage roots mm-hmm. when I was watching it um, because of the, they didn't, uh, it's not that they didn't try to open it up, but you know, there was a lot of dialogue yeah. in the way that uh, a stage uses dialogue. But um, with this movie with the father Uh, The way that it was directed, even though it was taking place in one set, even Mm -hmm. though it was dialogue driven, I I didn't really feel at any point like I was watching something that derived from play. And that's a really hard feat to pull off when you're adapting a stage play. So I really respect that. And um, I'm not upset about it. Uh, Not winning Best Picture. it's it's not necessarily a movie that needs to win Best Picture, 
Um, and I don't know if it's, you know, it, it's saying something pertinent, but it is definitely not necessarily the most representative movie of what 2020 was. Yeah, like our current but moment, yeah. I... Yeah, yeah, which I think choosing the best picture of the year also has to take into account because um, you are choosing something that's going to kind of represent this year, mm-hmm. you know. And so it's not just about choosing a movie that might be of uh, whatever, you know. It's also about choosing a movie that uh, is both high quality and addresses something about the time it's made. Yeah. But um uh, I think that uh, The Father is a movie that will hold up very well for decades to come and um, talks about something that uh, a lot of people deal with in a way that hasn't been done before. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a great point. And I, I really love The Father as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's such an empathetic movie. Uh, and yeah, you, you said like it's like a horror movie. It's like a thriller in a way. But it's uh, we're in the head of someone who the world is very confusing to them. And, and I think there's so many people that a lot of us have known that have similar experiences. And it's it's a whole nother level to be put in those shoes and, and realize what that might be like. So, yeah, I think it's a really, really strong film. Yeah. My number one is Sound of Metal. I really, really like Sound of Metal. Oh, I like yeah. um, the. It just took me on so many twists and turns that I wasn't expecting. Like um, going into the deaf community so much, I love that it kind of it almost educated about the deaf community and um, raised awareness in a way uh, on that end. Explained sort of the the controversy around cochlear implants um, and, and just the journey that that. Riz Ahmed's character goes on is uh yeah it's surprising uh, and I think it's really beautiful in the end um and Riz, Riz Ahmed is incredible in it I think his mm-hmm. performance is so so good uh, and then the sound mm-hmm. design I'm so glad it won for sound because it has such unique sound design uh in a way similar to how like the father is putting us in the shoes of someone sound of metal mm-hmm. we were in his his perspective of, and so we're feeling how devastating it would be uh, not only to lose your hearing, but that's also your livelihood. So like there's the impact of that. And then um, what a paradigm shift he goes through and um, the, the journey of trying to come to terms with it. I uh, just found really, really moving. I thought the ending was great. I love Sound of Metal. Uh, it's a great movie. I, I very, very much. Uh, another one I enjoyed more than I thought I would. Because again, uh, you know, you go into movies and when something's about uh, a topic that you're not necessarily normally interested in, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, you're watching a good movie when it, when it brings you into that. And I don't really care for heavy metal music, <laughs> yeah. like at all. It's like <laughs> the exact opposite of my personality, but um, the fact that it's able to draw me into his world mm-hmm. um, and, you know, take something that isn't like you and make you connect to the humanity of it. I mean, that's like what movies are supposed to do. That's what why we have, that's why we have films. So I think Sound of Music, uh, Sound of Music, Sound of Metal, <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of um, a different movie, <laughs> little very very different movie. Um, the fact that it's able to to take you there is is such a um, a testament to the power of film. 
completely agree. And that is why it was my number one. Well, great. Those are really good picks. I I do think it was a good year for movies. Um, you know, there was some speculation about like, would a movie, because Sound of Metal is kind of a smaller movie. The Father, in a way, is kind of a smaller movie. Would some sure. of these have gotten as much attention if this wasn't the pandemic year? And I guess we don't, we'll never know the answer to that question. But I, I think it's interesting to see the things that got nominated this year. Uh, well, 2021 is shaping up to be pretty good too. I don't think I've seen anything that's just great yet, but there's some exciting movies coming down the road. Um, but enough about that. Let's talk about the Oscars. I think that's that's what we need to get into. <laughs> so let's transition, yeah, let's transition into talking about that because uh, it was an interesting year. Even before, you know, they announced, you know, Steven Soderbergh is involved in what directing or producing. I'm not sure the word for that. Um, this and they're going to, do some different things with it so it's kind of excited i was like oh let's see what this is like um well they had some there was also some some controversy early on mm. um because they made the announcement that they were pressuring people to attend in person mm-hmm. um and they were going to make sure there were not masks on the uh, on camera and all this stuff and that did cause a little bit of an uproar and they ended up walking that back a little bit to where, okay, it's all right. If nominees can't make it, we'll figure out some remote way to get yeah. them, <laughs> you know, cause they were, they originally said like, we're not going to allow any zooms, yeah, yeah. nothing, no remote work, all that. And that got pushback. So, you know, that may have been a warning. <laughs> yeah, we should have all thought hmm, this might not be what we you know, are hoping for. Yes, that's, that's um, a good point. Yeah, I kind of like, and this is like, okay, the CDC has told us that we can socialize with small groups of other vaccinated people once we ourselves are vaxxed. Mm-hmm. And so going off of that guideline, they had a show where people were apparently wearing masks during commercial breaks, but not during the show or whatever. And uh, and they said everybody in the room was was vaccinated. Okay, I personally think it sends a much better subtle message Mm. if you go ahead and not to get political. I'm not trying to be political here. I'm just saying that I think it sends a subtle message in a country that has surging COVID cases because of people who are refusing to get vaccinated and because um, and because we are in a situation where we aren't to herd immunity yet, I think it sends a better message to see people having fun, having a good night with mask on because yeah. that continues to normalize something that people are still having problems with. That is a very small quibble. It's not that anybody there wasn't being safe. It's just optically, I think it was a bad move. Yeah. And I don't think it would have disrupted that much. Like you can take your mask off at the podium, but there's no reason yeah. you can't take it off at your seat. Which is what the, which is what the other award shows mm-hmm. basically did. Um, you know, but the Oscars, I think that that was automatically putting things on a, in a weird place, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. um, Anyway, but uh, the show and uh, should we just discuss the show yeah, real so quickly let's talk, before we talk about winners and losers? Yeah, let's just talk about okay. the show itself. And did you have any? Well, let's talk about <laughs> what it was. I have. A, I was like, I was going to write down memorable moments, and then <laughs> I couldn't come up with anything. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah, let's let's talk about the show itself and how it was produced. Well, I should 
first of all say that I, I did make a couple of like Facebook statuses uh, <laughs> about this. And there were people who chimed in to say how much they they liked the the changes and the differences and everything. And they were having a good time. That was not the majority of opinions. <laughs> um, in fact, it's it's pretty entertaining if you go to Twitter right now. Yeah, um, but uh, <laughs> but uh, essentially, uh, Steven Soderbergh apparently uh, wanted to shoot it more like a movie. Mm-hmm. So the whole thing was presented in the uh, the cinemascope ratio. Um and it was shot at 24 frames per second, um, which was kind of disorienting um, and took some getting used to because especially since the remote parts of it were shot at normal 30 frames per second. Mm, I don't know yeah. if you know, thought I about this. It felt it. different. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. And so you had like different frame rates going on depending on what you're showing. Um, and then they didn't frame people dead center or looking at camera for mm-hmm. the most of the show. And so that ended up being for me a little disorienting because you kind of I think that we from decades of watching award shows are there's a certain things that are considered standard and that you are accustomed to watching things a certain way. Um, and so you end up like kind of being pulled out of the actual show because you're noticing the camera work, which I don't think is supposed to happen at a live event. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. um, that makes sense. And so that I, I mean, I appreciate and respect creativity. I really do. Um, and I think it's good to try new things and try to keep things fresh. But I, I think that was a bad technical decision, but the real the real bad decision. And this is something that I think just they finally have to address. They haven't had a host for three years now. Mm-hmm. And I think it worked the first year. They didn't have one because they still brought out people to be funny. Yeah. And, you know, we've had a hell of a year and there's a lot of really serious stuff going on. And we definitely can't pretend that stuff isn't going on and it needs to be addressed in a way that measures the weight of the seriousness at the same time, you still have to give people a show that is entertaining Mm -hmm. that can allow them some levity in a time of seriousness. And that's where in the nineties, you know, you, you know, they were alternating in the nineties between Billy Crystal and Whoopi Goldberg for Mm -hmm. the most part. And both of them, if you go back and watch their uh, Oscar monologues in very different ways, had a, knew how to pay reverence to the Oscars without taking it too seriously. It's Mm. almost like they, they realize that the Oscars are kind of like a big piece of fluff, but they're like the biggest piece of fluff out there, you know? And so they, they know they're in on the joke and they know how to make fun of the people in the room. And the Oscars really, really, really needs to find a person who can do that, bring the laughs right at the beginning and then keep the show moving, which yeah. that there was no connective tissue in this show. Um, and then my biggest, the biggest complaint, <laughs> and I think this is the thing that's getting probably derided the most on Twitter right now is the Academy. I think in it's, it's honestly disrespectful. If you think about it, they decided to leave Chadwick Boseman's best actor category for last, mm-hmm. which was a very blatant move to 
to keep people watching, A. So, you know, you're using somebody's death for ratings mm-hmm. is basically what you're doing. And um, they also, I, you can see them in the meetings going like, well, we know he's going to win. So right. this is going to be best. And we'll have people crying on the way out. And I just feel like that's such a um, distasteful reason mm-hmm. to rearrange the categories because pictures supposed to be last because I, I'm sure there's a lot of people who turned off their TV after Nomadland mm-hmm. won tonight because they didn't they thought like, OK, well, it's over because that that's, yeah. you know, that's supposed to be the last award. And um, and I, I, it's almost poetic that the. The reason everybody knows they moved it to last <laughs> totally, um, backfired. totally backfired. And the 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 icing on the cake is that Anthony Hopkins wasn't even there. Yeah. He wasn't even at the remote location in London. He just wasn't there to just a picture of him. And he just became the oldest person ever to win a competitive Oscar. <laughs> he wasn't, wasn't there. there. Um and it, it's it, it almost serves them right for trying to manufacture uh, sentimentality because yeah. that that always that's you have to let moments happen naturally. And whenever Heath Ledger won Best Supporting Actor, you know, um, in whatever two thousand nine, mm-hmm. um, you know, that was obviously kind of a similar situation. Um, but they kept the best actor category towards the beginning of the show where it normally is. And it was a great moment and it didn't feel forced and they tried to force something. It really, really didn't work. And I think that was probably just indicative of what the entire show is. It also was really weird having the best director Oscar so early in the show. Um, cause that's, cause I almost like there was no suspense for me because you, you know, okay, No Man Land's going to win Best Picture at one Best Director. Like that's ninety percent of the time they're together. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, there's some my complaints right now. Some some bad choices. Yeah, go ahead. What about In Memoriam? In Memoriam was like I I I don't know why people think people don't want to watch In Memoriams. Like there were so many big names this year. I'm sure everybody would have loved to have had quotes and clips. You know, and not had people flash by in one yeah, second. It was so and, fast. You couldn't read it. It was, yeah, it was. And it was a PowerPoint like it, mm. uh, you know, it could have like go watch Turner Classic Movies in memoriam montages. Yeah, clips and go, things, oh, right? This is what it should look like. It's classy. Um, and uh, SAG did a really good in memoriam this year, too, I will say. Mm. So, um, but uh, yeah, I don't I would lay money that the production team will be changing next year at the Oscars. <laughs> yeah, I cannot imagine that uh that many people are fans. Yes, I, I agree with all your complaints. I think that ending was like so cringy and I was just laughing because like this couldn't have been any worse of a of a misfire. Um but so as far as like the cinematic quality of it, I, I was kinda at the beginning I was like, all right, I can I can get with this. So cause it has uh Regina King doing this kind of slow walk Carrie that was the best in. part of it. I was like, oh, this is kind of cool. It feels like we're in Ocean's Eleven, you know, and um, mm-hmm. getting the names on the screen. But then it became clear that, yeah, we're, we don't have the host to be funny. We just have, we're going to have a lot of different people just speaking um, at length. And some of that was they, oh, they, speeches. 
<laughs> yes, the speech. Yeah, they didn't play people off, which so I have mixed feelings about that. It's kind of nice that they did, I do. but it also uh, went on a long time for several of the speeches. But even when they were just introducing yeah. the nominees, um, they didn't show clips for a lot of them. They they were like, oh, we're going to tell some facts about this person and their their you know production on the the film they did, um, which. I thought made it drag out even more. Like, so I think show us, don't tell us. Exactly. I love the <laughs> that's clips. A, that's a rule of cinema. <laughs> and they show, showed, don't tell. <laughs> they showed clips on just random, like a three or four of the categories, but the rest, it was just the camera was, <laughs> first of all, it was zooming around to try to catch the people and their reactions while they were being talked about. Sometimes <laughs> they weren't there on time. Uh, the people on didn't know cam. if they're supposed to be looking at the camera or not. Uh, and, the facts were not as interesting as I, you know, a clip of the movie would have been. Uh, so all around, I did not enjoy that aspect of it. Uh, so yeah, between your speeches were hurt by not having, you know, that typical dead on shot that you have, you know, yeah. I think that, I think we want to watch somebody experience the win without having, uh, just seeing them in full view. If that makes mm-hmm. sense. I, th- I feel like, you want to watch somebody just experience the moment and you don't want a profile shot where they're not looking at the camera. Um, And there were lots of people. I noticed when Brad Pitt came out, it seemed like he didn't know where Mm -hmm. he was supposed to look, you know? Um, Anyway. No, you're right. And then (laughs) the people sitting in the crowd too, like didn't know when they were being filmed and when they weren't. And, Yes, it was. And then also was cutting to the remote thing, which, um, you know, not not necessarily you can't blame them too much for having remote issues. But it, it was um, yeah, it was just it, it really was, served to take no, me out of it. The Golden Globes it, and Emmys did this better. <laughs> yeah. Which, you know, I never thought the Golden Globes would, would do it better after watching that and <laughs> watching this. Um, you know, I will say Glenn Close, Glenn Close did her best to save the show. I was gonna she, say, yeah. mm-hmm. she gave us a gif out of this and we'll, we're we're grateful yes. we're grateful Glenn. <laughs> um it's still she just she said this is interesting um she set a record tonight uh tied peter o'toole to be the actor who has been nominated for the most oscars without winning, without winning. Eight, eight, times eight times nominated zero wins man they better make her, her sunset boulevard musical movie <laughs> yes oh my gosh poor glenn we're gonna write write her something good in the next few years people (laughs) yeah she needs a good role uh but yeah that's what actually what i was gonna bring up was like i feel like usually we have some things so we had this little music audience participation game with the glenn close thing um i feel like we usually have at least two or three other things that are like fun little asides that yeah again help keep the show a little bit lighter but we didn't get anything like that and that was almost at the very end when they did that one um and so it was just a award speech award speech and it just was dragging so much i, I looked up after an hour and a half i was like this is taking forever <laughs> it just it felt like one of the more uh slow award shows i've seen in recent years so i didn't like that aspect of it either yeah. <laughs> we have a lot yeah. of complaints well, maybe we've covered that enough. Do you want to talk about uh, some of the winners? Let's just look at like some of the big categories. Oh, did you? We'll say this. Did you have any memorable moments besides uh, Glenn Close, of course, with her her dancing? Um, <laughs> I had trouble coming up with much. Yeah, you know. I, I, 
yeah, there's just not much memorable that I, uh, Tyler Perry did a get, had a great speech. Yeah. Um, and the whole section paying tribute to him was very nice. I also appreciated the tribute to the people at the motion picture home. Mm. Um, like both of those were good moments that felt, uh, authentic. Mm. Um, and, uh, in a show that was striving for authenticity, I thought that those were the most authentic moments of the night. Yeah, that's good. I, I I thought I really liked both of them. I thought the first one dragged maybe a little bit, but I thought they were both really good. Um, if I was thinking of any other kind of memorable things, I thought Daniel Kaluuya's speech was really good. Um, he was kind of all over the place, but I thought it was entertaining. Um, and then I love how Frances McDormand, on, when she won actress, gave like two sentences and then was out of there. I was like, thank you. <laughs> that was nice and short. Um and then we've talked about the the weird ending, but Joaquin Phoenix has such a strange energy. I was so nervous when he walked out on stage and just started talking. And that was uh... I'm always nervous when he starts. <laughs> I think we all remember whenever he had like that alter ego on that talk show. Yeah. And you just never know where he's going to go. Like, oh, great, <laughs> I think Joaquin's he's probably here. the nicest guy. I'm just he just yeah. always makes me a little nervous. <laughs> uh, oh, and then John Batiste. I thought his speech was really good, too for the soul score but yes but other than that it was uh you know not my favorite oscars evening um but let's talk about the the but the awards themselves yes the awards themselves and whether they were uh you know what we expected um so let's look at just the acting and directing and picture so supporting actress uh let me pull that up so uh Jung yun won for minari uh which is so deserved yeah so deserved i figured that would be the case uh and i was so glad that she did did you um expect her to win uh i mean she had basically been winning everything up Mm -hmm. to this point so it would have been a shock had she not won um and and she it's one of those situations where you know when somebody starts winning everything i think there tends to be this kind of um uh this uh like this like uh okay yeah of course they're gonna win blah 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 and it almost like downgrades their performance a little bit because people just you know get um get tired of seeing the same person win over and over again but this is one of those situations where i truly truly believe that she was far and away uh, the deserved winner in her category i should also say that in um the supporting categories this year uh, had um, now here the Academy. The way that this is chosen is the Academy um, members can vote. You know, they're they campaign. People campaign for categories. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, if somebody is nominated in a category, um, it, it doesn't matter what they campaigned in. They can be in that category, but they can't be in both. So a lot of times people will get uh, votes for both categories and it's just whichever one they get the most votes in. That's where they get the nomination, you know? Um, Yeah. And so that's how a situation like Wakit Stanfield Mm -hmm. ends up getting a nomination and supporting, even though I think most people watching that movie would think he's the lead. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Yeah. Um, Jesus and Jesus and the black Messiah. He himself was confused about the nomination when he posted it, when he posted about it on Instagram. Um, And I am mentioning this because um, I, I, I think that she was actually the definition of a great supporting role. Uh There's no question. She was the supporting actress in the film. Um, 
and so I I like somebody winning, yeah, yeah. and there's no hint of category fraud. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yes, <laughs> you know that's true. Because I mean, you could argue Olivia Coleman was a lead in yeah. The Father. Uh-huh. You know, I don't mind her being in supporting, but she has um, her role is as large as her role was in The Favorite. Mm. Yeah, that's true. You know, so mm-hmm. it's just it's just interesting the way we choose categories. Yeah. Uh, <clears throat> yeah the, the favorite is maybe similar to judas and the black messiah in that it favorite kind of had three leads and judas and the black messiah kind of had two leads and it's like what do we do with that and they don't quite know how to handle and they it. put both in supporting yeah. mm-hmm. which i mean it, it's just like there's plenty of instances in which two people have been nominated in a category for the same film and it's happened in lead you know quite a few times yeah. actually um you know uh all about eve it happened uh there's a movie called sleuth with uh laurence olivier and michael Caine. they were both nominated for best actor i mean it's not it's not, not unheard of. of yeah yeah it's just it's just interesting because um i think lakeith stanfield's role is a little bit bigger yeah than daniel uh coulier's is in uh jesus the black messiah so mm. i mean like in my head i classified him as the lead of the movie but i mean they both of them could have been in either category yeah I, well no uh <laughs> both of them could have been in uh, daniel could have been in leader supporting and i would have accepted it lakeith and supporting really confuses me but mm. it's fine okay yeah. um i'm glad that he was honored because um, <laughs> he he didn't get uh, a lot of awards love all season so i'm glad he got the oscar nom so yeah. And he's a great uh, actor. I really like him in just about everything. So Lakeith is so great. So, so good. Uh, and I loved, oh, he won the fashion night. He had the best suit. Oh my gosh, yeah. Day. I saw so, that on Twitter so. earlier today and I was like, oh my gosh, this suit is so cool. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, well, we basically talked about actor and supporting role. I I was happy that Daniel Kaluuya won. You know, as bad, oh, for like, sure. as confusing as that all was, he had such a great performance. And I think I saw something earlier that he kind of like swept award season. I think he won every everything he was nominated for, or something like that. And he um not only is he great, he really did a completely different character in this movie than the other amazing work we've seen from him in the mm. last few years. Plus, he's had amazing work for several years now. So it's um. Yeah. It's so nice to see somebody deserve something. And so I think both supporting categories very, very deserved. Yes. So agreed. Well, let's look at actress in a leading role. Uh, Francis mm. McDormand won that one. The other nominees were Viola Davis, Andrew Day, uh, Vanessa Kirby, and Carrie Mulligan. I, this one was one where I really wasn't sure where it was going to go, uh, but I'm, yeah, I'm no pretty happy was. with Francis. I really like her. Uh, and I, I think it's a good performance in that movie. Is that how you thought it was going to go? Or did you have any? any I did not think it was going to this way. I really didn't think um, I really didn't think Francis was going to win a third. I kind of felt like, yeah. uh, oh, they, they're not going to give this to her since they gave her one a couple of years ago. You know, that was the logic I had. I'm mm-hmm. not saying she isn't deserving. That's not how I mean that. Um, but uh, but uh, I mean, uh, she also kind of uh justified the whole situation by getting up there and giving a great short speech <laughs> um you know typical of her making it uh making it memorable yeah. um and reading the room um yes, yes. my personal favorite was carrie mulligan mm-hmm. um, i really thought she might win i also would have liked to have seen viola davis win a second oscar um even if again i 
I wonder if category had something to do with that because mm. she is the leading female of the movie, but she also Chadwick Boseman has the yeah. largest role by far. So it's kind of a interesting category situation again. But um, I do want Viola Davis to have a leading Oscar at some mm. point, particularly since she was basically the lead in Fences also. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh regardless um i'm not like i think francis is a such a well-liked personality that if anyone besides meryl streep is going to have three oscars <laughs> yeah these days i feel like she's the person the most people can uh agree with just because uh who dislikes francis dorman <laughs> yes exactly. and um and she's consistently great in everything she does so mm-hmm. and so different character than uh than three billboards uh whenever, whenever oh yeah much more hopeful and yeah, it's seeing two different <laughs> sides of her, her, her performance. Don't see her yeah. doing anything in the dentist chair like she did in, <laughs> like in Three Billboards. Yeah, yeah. you know, whenever you know the scene I'm talking about. Yes, yes, yes. Um, uh, anyway, um, actor is the one everyone's going to be talking about. Yeah, so let's talk about that actor in a leading role. So yeah, we've kind of already talked about the weirdness of the production of it, um, but I mean, just on its face, I am also very surprised Chadwick Boseman did not win. Uh, and I was thinking, okay, Chadwick Boseman is going to win. My favorite might have been Riz Ahmed. I would have been happy to see him win, except, you know, Chadwick's going to win, right? Because he's, it's posthumous. It's such a great performance. Uh, it's going to be honoring his career. And then that didn't happen. I was so shocked by that. Uh, what was your yeah. feelings on, on that? Total shock. Although I have to say uh, my shock was a, a little, um, I, I, I I was I must my feed must have been like delayed by like 10 seconds because um a friend of mine texted oh shit you can bleep me um <laughs> if you want to um and and right before they announced I was like oh something's about to happen and then <laughs> and then uh uh I assumed that if Chadwick Boseman didn't win it would be Anthony Hopkins because mm-hmm. I I think anybody who's seen The Father yeah, uh, knows movie. how yeah uh how it's probably his i i think it's probably his best performance mm. including the silence of the lambs so um because the silence of the lambs created an iconic character that mm. we are still talking about to this day but um this one's so emotional in a way that, that this not, one is though. such difficult emotional work i can mm. i i see i mean like it's so hard to to compare performances i think uh um, in a normal ceremony on a normal year, I might have been more upset that Chadwick Boseman didn't win because, you know, it's that chance is never going to be there again. Yeah. And he did such great work. And you can't objectively say that one performance is better than the other. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I think I'm not as upset of it about it because the awards show itself was such a train wreck <laughs> that it it's almost like the award show itself didn't deserve to get that moment mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. um karma. Which is, so i don't know i i think my pick would have been chadwick boseman um anthony hopkins gives career best work in the movie riz ahmed is incredible as well um really just a really stellar collection of actors giving great yeah. performances this year. And, you know, maybe it was like a vote split situation too. Yeah, maybe a lot of people, maybe a lot of people wanted to go to Riz Ahmed because of how great his performance is. And I think that, you know, people do struggle with that. I, I can imagine that voters struggle with, um, 
you know, like who do I in a situation where you have a posthumous nominee who you give it to. Um, and uh, I mean, only uh, only two actors have ever won um, posthumously. You know, not very many have been nominated, mind you, but um, only uh, Peter Finch for Network and Heath Ledger for um, uh, for uh, The Dark Knight. Mm-hmm. Those are the only two posthumous um, acting wins. There have been wins in other categories. Yeah. Um, so it's not uh, it's not common. I mean, you know, uh, James Dean was nominated twice after he died and mm-hmm. didn't win either time so it's uh, certainly not unheard of but i think it is shocking because he did win basically everything leading up to this and um i'm i'm sad that he won't get another opportunity because he truly was a great actor and you know we've only had um denzel and Sidney poitier are the only black actors to win uh leading oscar so so surprising every time i hear that I'm like oh my gosh that's really the only ones yeah, that's that's wild. Well, it is. Uh, let's look at directing. Uh, I think everyone kind of expected Chloe Zhao to win, and she did. And so there may not be much to talk about in this category, but uh, that's how that one went. Uh, any thoughts on the directing? Um, I, you know, Nomadland was not my favorite movie of the year. I saw that on um, the ranking, but go ahead, go ahead. Yes, but the two elements of the movie that I thought were great were the well okay i thought the cinematography was great mm-hmm. and then i thought the direction and the performance from francis francis dwarven were great um uh the rest of it, I, I, it it's funny i i think that i just didn't connect to the marriage of fiction and documentary mm-hmm. um and i think it has maybe more to do with my personal taste palette than it does with anything else. But I also recognize that what Chloe Zhao was doing was uh, incredibly difficult and, um, and uh, groundbreaking work. So I certainly really respect what she brought to the table and certainly Francis McDormand getting the performance she did in those conditions was great. So it's not, it's not my pick for best picture. Um, it's not one of my favorite movies of the year. Um, but I mean, I can't also, I also can't deny that it doesn't say something about uh, where our country is economically, where, um, where we are um, in terms of uh, the class divide, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, socioeconomic situations for people. It, it does really speak to something um in this country uh in a way that also doesn't really demand an opinion to be formed so it it does toe a really difficult line and while i don't love it i certainly respect it Mm -hmm. and so i don't have an issue with it winning yeah Yeah, it seemed like she won every directing thing just about this 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 thing so it seemed like uh that was inevitable. I, I like Nomadland more than you. It sounds like I really, really loved uh, all the things you said about it. I think what it what it shows about this current time and, and how it shows people kind of living outside of, you know, if we have Minari kind of looking at the American dream and uh, in one from one angle, this almost looks at it at another and showing people who are kind of rejecting and saying, 
there's another way to, to be. And uh, so I, I like that aspect of it. I think it's emotionally really complex. And I think that's probably a tribute to Chloe Zhao as well. But anyway, I uh, really like Nomadland. So happy with that win. I was happy to see that Thomas Vinterberg was nominated actually uh, for another round, which he ended up, that didn't win that, but it won for international film, which I guess that was uh, also uh, predictable since since it got the directing nomination uh, but I liked his speech as well I thought he had a, a good one there but mm-hmm. uh, well, let's talk about best picture so we've kind of already covered it maybe but Nomadland uh, won out over everything which I think from the first time I heard of Nomadland I heard you know this this is going to be up for best picture probably like this is gonna this is a really a big movie that's getting a lot of awards buzz already uh and it went all the way so there it was and um yeah did you have any what did you hope would I guess you hoped the father would win uh, as far as uh best picture goes um no I mean it's what I expected to win um you know uh that that was the surprises were in the two leading acting categories everything else is kind of pretty much what we thought uh, as far as the winners go was was almost exactly what we thought was going to happen um so uh i like that rita moreno was the presenter yeah that was nice um so that was a nice little moment um that was a little confusing that um they had the supporting actress give supporting actor and they had the supporting actor give supporting actress but it really confused me that they swapped to where the lead actor gave lead actor and i like it was it that was weird to me that's just something i I thought about i don't like it's just like if you're gonna make that change why didn't you make it in both Mm-hmm. acting categories it's just like um <laughs> just inconsistency yeah. another baffling decision that i'm sure there will be lots of think pieces about tomorrow so <laughs> um i uh i really want somebody to measure what the ratings drop was after they announced best picture like yeah, i want someone yeah. to, to like i want nielsen to mark like here's what happened to the ratings after yeah, they announced this picture because I <laughs> it was so confusing. I would turn to the people in the room and I was like, I'm very upset by this. What is happening? Do we miss some categories? Like I was really confused. I was like, I guess there's it was, it. it was so, but you know, this is like, you know, there was an intro to the Oscars in the late eighties that famously had like snow white involved and Rob Lowe. And it was like this big musical disaster that, <laughs> Is considered like the most infamous opening musical number. This is the kind of thing that as weird as it was and as upsetting as it sometimes felt, this is that Oscar show we'll be talking about years from now. Like, do you remember the weird Oscars at Union Station in downtown L.A.? Yeah, that was weird. We'll be... We'll be talking about this for many moons to come. <laughs> yes, I did see some a tweet that just said, uh, this makes the whole Moonlight La La Land debacle feel like smooth sailing. <laughs> <laughs> well, at that. least that the thing about that is I, I almost feel like the Oscars uh, mischaracterizes that as a debacle. Yes, it was a debacle. Yes, it's really awful that some people thought they had an Oscar and then, mm. you know, got taken away. But it was nobody can deny it wasn't great live tv oh yeah <laughs> you know <laughs> this was horrible like, live tv tonight <laughs> yeah, yeah it didn't even feel i think that the film like way they shot it almost made it not feel live mm, yeah. which i feel like sucked the spontaneity feeling out of it 
you know you want it to feel live mm, that's a good point yeah i also miss that they the musical performances were all done with the pre-show as opposed to doing it during the show and i i have no idea why they always try to shove out because this has happened before the original song oscar oscar part has been dumped out of the show and then brought back in before i i never know why they do that because people like music (laughs) (laughs) and they like watching music be performed yeah and that's another way to break up and bring something yeah spontaneous like you're saying a little different to the stage and levity because the thing is if it's if it's just serious all the time and you're just sending a message all the time Mm -hmm. you know and you're not allowing for humor then it's like a symphony you have to conduct a symphony to where there's highs and lows and you you have to treat the Oscars like a show. It's a variety show. It's supposed to have a little bit of everything, mm-hmm. you know. And and having uh, people expect you know big speeches, but they also expect to be entertained, you know. Um, and we've certainly gone through tumultuous um, times before in the Oscars, where very dramatic things have happened off screen. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that and those have leaked their ways through political statements in the show. And that's kind of part of what the history of the Oscars is all about. The people who make the controversial speeches that half the crowd boos and half the crowd claps, you know, and maybe that's also part of it, too. The lack of a real audience just kind of sucks a lot of the energy, yeah. you know. Um, anyway, it's yeah. a it was an odd one. I wow. We'll be talking about this for a long time to come. <laughs> What a strange year for the Oscars. Uh, any yeah. other surprises or last thoughts? I thought that um, maybe you said this like early on that Mank had the most nominations, but it might end up not winning anything. It did win a couple at one uh, for cinematography, which I really thought Nomadland would get that one, actually. Uh, and then it won I for something else for uh, production design, which uh, production design makes some sense, I think, especially you know you're recreating classic Hollywood. It seems like something the academy would just eat up and they did so uh there's that but um what else i thought uh sound of metal one editing i was surprised by that i thought that would go to nomadland as well um, um yeah i was uh i was i it was actually kind of shocking because nomadland only won you know uh, the three yeah right? it didn't win adapted screenplay or cinematography yeah i really yeah. thought uh, it would get cinematography too uh, so yeah, that so was it was surprising. a largely spread out night, mm-hmm. you know, uh, amongst the. Yeah, I thought No Man yeah. might just sweep, but it didn't. So that's interesting. Yeah. Um, oh, and then one more thing I need to mention is documentary feature. I really thought that Crip Camp was going to win, and I really wanted Crip Camp to win, and I did not see my octopus teacher, so I cannot, uh, you know, complain too loudly, but. I really want Crip Camp to win. It seemed like a, a good moment for that to happen, and uh, that's a it's a it's a film about disability and disability rights and kind of the history there. But it's also so full of joy, and it's really a well made movie. And uh, I was disappointed that that didn't happen, but oh well. Yeah. Um. Yeah. Oh well. What oh, can well. you do? I mean, that's just the basic uh, <laughs> summation of the entire night. So, yeah, oh, well. <laughs> yeah it's kind of like a, a, here's the. 2022 yes I've been like really leading up to the oscars night and it just kind of fizzled out i guess we're done now i know i spent a, a week crashing through the nominees uh and now i'm wondering why 
<laughs> yes. Uh, okay. Well, um, we'll, we'll look at the anyway. uh, schedule for the next few weeks, and we'll get excited about some new movies, and we'll go on. Yeah. Tonight. But uh, but yeah. Go on weird year for the oscars again i do think it was a pretty good year for movies so yes good movies out there um well that can kind of wrap us up uh before we go we're looking ahead to the next few weeks of the podcast uh so last year after the oscar season rance and i did a series on classic film we called it the classic film starter pack it was sort of supposed to be a gateway into people who want to know more about classic film here's some good titles to watch to kind of get into that and rance walked us through the historical significance of all of those and it was it was really great so i want to do something else a series of classic films this one's going to be a little shorter it's going to be just three uh that's just a scheduling issue but um i think you had this idea way back when we talked about it more than a year ago uh and that is we're going to talk about films made in technicolor so technicolor it's something i need to learn more about but uh, you know we'll, we'll watch some movies that were made with this technology what is it how is it done what's the importance of technicolor in the history of cinema so those will be the next three episodes we'll talk about uh and the titles for that are going to be the adventures of robin hood that's from 1938 leave her to heaven from 1945 and then finally the red shoes from 1948 uh, so rance is going to walk us through all of that and explain you know how how is technicolor done and what's the deal with it um and how widespread was it because i think of technicolor and i think you know wizard of oz is kind of the one that pops into my head but uh there's there's much more to it than that uh than just that one moment in history so come back for that next time we're going to get into all that you can stream robin hood uh on hbo max so i'm excited to watch that and get into that uh so tune tune back in in a couple weeks for that uh and with that i I guess we can kind of wrap up rance thank you so much for for being here uh, I was, it was a, I had to talk to somebody after <laughs> this. I'm glad it was out. you. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, thanks so much. It's always a pleasure. And we'll talk to you in a couple weeks for Robin Hood. Great. Can't wait. And with that, thank you. Thank you for listening to Art House Garage. We've got a few years worth of episodes now. You can hear all of those in your podcast app of choice. Our theme music is by composer Paul Hunefeld. You can learn more at www.appallingproductions.com. And there's a link in the show notes. If you want to support Art House Garage, you can leave a rating or review in your podcast app. Or you can buy an Art House Garage t-shirt at arthousegarage.com shop. Stay in the loop about Arthouse Garage and the films we're covering by subscribing to our email newsletter by going to arthousegarage.com slash subscribe, or you can email me directly, Andrew, at arthousegarage.com. And of course, follow on social media. You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and Letterboxd. Just search at Arthouse Garage in all those places or find links in the show notes. And that will do it for this episode. Thank you again so much for listening. And until next time, keep it snob free. 